This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Galley. Our guest this week is Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tom Slate next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. The National Crop Insurance Services provide individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Growing export markets is the key to success of U.S. agriculture. Satisfying demand from an expanding middle class holds opportunity for U.S. farmers and ranchers. However, the Trump administration's dialogue and action with global trading partners suggests a shift in U.S. trade attitude. Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, says accusations of U.S. protectionism is only perception. Obviously, we're much more looking at the whole formula of trade, and I think this is a lot of things that countries that we're working with are taking into consideration, again, both the export and the import side. And I think this is what the countries are reacting to right now. It would seem plausible that an administration would look at trade relationships where we have a negative trade balance and want to do something about it. It makes sense. You know, Let's look at that part of the equation. I think it also makes sense to look at the benefits that the trade that's already going into those countries are bringing, you know, certain sectors of our economy, particular agriculture. You know, agriculture is the only sector that's a positive contributor to the balance of trade. And I think that's uh, something that is has a lot of respect now. And I think that we keep hearing time and time again, you know, the, the, the phrase do no harm in these agricultural negotiations, do no harm to agricultural exports. And and we really, uh, we really endorse that, and uh, it's very, very important uh, to certainly the feed grain sector, and it's certainly important to agriculture. How has our relationship with Mexico been affected by discussion of the Trump administration? Obviously, that's a country that's important to us for agriculture export sales, but we run a negative trade balance with Mexico. That's true, uh, but our relationship with them is deep and broad, particularly in agriculture. Uh, deep in terms of generationally deep, uh, broad in terms of, you know, quite uh, integrated trade channels, uh, tra- channels that have been built up over decades, uh, and this sort of mutual dependence on the fact that this, this relationship is going to continue. And, you know, we spent a lot of time at the council over the past several months, uh, you know, focusing on Mexico. I've been to Mexico three times in the past couple of months. It's something that we have had to reassure our customers, that we're still on solid ground in terms of trade relationships. And, yeah, the, the political relationships uh, and the rhetoric uh, has been uh, hard to deal with. But, you know, we are making progress, and, and certainly our Mexican agricultural interests right now know that U.S. agriculture is going to bat for them in terms of the NAFTA renegotiation. Do you see Mexican buyers shifting their sourcing options toward Southern Hemisphere and other sources? There's certainly an interest in doing so. Uh, that's the thing we've been fighting consistently, Jeff, over the last couple of months, really, 
is the fact that this, you know, much uh, talked about plan B, you know, looking elsewhere, uh, reducing their dependence on the U.S. as a supplier of food and agricultural products. And this has resulted in, you know, again, long-standing contacts that we've worked with going on trade missions to Brazil and Argentina, receiving delegations from Brazil and Argentina at their feed mills and at their industry meetings. Yeah, we think we enjoyed very strong market share this past year, 95% plus market share, uh, because of the U.S. being an extremely strong uh, competitive uh, position, plus these deep, long-seated relationships, business relationships, has always led us to what we call win the tie, when we have competitive uh, sourcing. Uh, this summer, I think it's going to be different. Again, you have a very strong, very large uh, you know, South American crop coming off. Uh, that's going to be competitively priced, and you have interest in looking at and seriously evaluating those alternative sources. Um, we haven't seen it yet in corn. Uh, some other commodities have seen some shifting of, of purchases to other places from other places, uh, but uh, we're watching very closely as the summer unfolds because this is a period where uh, we're going to face our stiffest competition from South America. With regard to the Mexican market, if Argentina and Brazil get their foot in the door or a more solid foothold, what else could be lost? Is it just the Mexican market, or does that open the door to other areas where the U.S. has had a stronghold? Realistically speaking, this marketing year, we're going to be facing more stiff competition than we did last year. I mean, obviously, that's sort of a a no-brainer as you look at the market conditions today. We were in a strong position last year. South American crop was lower than expected. This year's the reverse. Like I said, I just got back from Japan. They are actively looking at starting to switch their purchasing back to the southern hemisphere, to Brazil, uh, in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, So uh, we at the council are sort of, you know, girding ourselves around the world and getting a lot more busy around the world uh, than even before, which was a pretty hectic pace. Uh, because we know we're going to be facing very stiff competition on corn. With regard to trade, currency is an issue. How is the U.S. currency value compared to that of our customers and our competitors? How is that working for you or against you? Right now, I think you know, it's a factor that's being taken care of. I mean, like it's being factored into the marketplace. Like one of the things that counterbalances it is a, sort of a very weak ocean freight market, Jeff. I mean, that has always been sort of what's kind of going on. Uh, one thing that we watch very closely is the U.S. dollar Mexican peso exchange rate. Any kind of movement in that rate, and there is a market movement in Mexico, uh, and that's something that we're watching very, very closely. And so, yeah, it's always a factor. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's something we've kind of gotten used to in terms of the marketplace, and uh, we're working with a lot of countries around the world on how to manage that currency risk. From the Grains Council perspective, are we ready to adjust the balance sheet for what potential export sales would be yet this summer, or are we in a holding pattern? I think we're very optimistic still. We're, we're coming off, again, the last report, uh, you know, exports are still up. I think we're going to have a very strong year uh, on ethanol exports. Uh, I think we're going to be uh, looking very good there. We just know we're going to be facing uh, strong competition, and I think we can meet that competition. But, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different than, than last year, but uh, there's some other positive forces out there, new markets, uh, again, the ethanol market that uh, we're very, very uh, pleased with, and so we're upbeat. Tom, it looks like the U.S. Grains Council has another trip to Mexico planned for next month. What do you hope to accomplish in that meeting, and how does it go along with the other trips that you've made there this year? Our 
trip next month is sort of a normal thing. It's part of our normal engagement with Mexico in terms of, you know, we normally engage with them on feed and livestock cooperation, and we normally engage with them on market market uh, servicing. You know, Council routinely has uh, missions going down there. Uh, it's nothing in, in, in out of the ordinary, really. It's something that we are looking at um, to keep that consistent relationship going, consistent engagement in Mexico going, uh, because it's very important to us and it's very important to our customers. So, you know, it's really it's part of our normal more normal program. When we look at the country overall, are there paradigm shifts or changes that are actually creating opportunities for U.S. sales there? In Mexico, yeah. I mean, we see that as a very dynamic place. It's kind of interesting because uh, a few years ago, people were talking about that market leveling off, that, you know, the Mexican market, you squeeze all the growth that, that there is out there. Um, we found out that's quite wrong. Uh, when you look at places like in the Yucatan Peninsula, throughout the western part of Mexico, uh, you continue to see new pockets of growth. You know, again, driven by, by per capita income growth, driven by demand growth, uh, is very, very exciting. Plus that, plus, uh, we've been making lots of good progress in talking with, uh, uh, Mexico on things like ethanol. And so, uh, we actually are very, very bullish on Mexico. And we've actually even increased our staff there to address this because such an incredibly important market to everything the council works with, corn, sorghum, barley, value-added products, DDGs, meat, everything. Um, so it's, it's very, very important for the products that, that our producers uh, produce. Would you consider the sugar trade agreement that now has been signed between the two countries as a positive sign and, and a forward progress heading into the renegotiation of the NAFTA accord? Yeah, yeah, Jeff. We were holding our breath there for a little bit as that agreement was being worked out. Uh, I, uh, we're very pleased that we've got a solid agreement. I think it's an agreement that you hear criticisms from both sides, so that means that it's got to be pretty good. Uh, you know, we heard a little bit of Mexico that they had to, to make concessions. We heard you know, from the U.S. that they had to make concessions. But, again, having that agreement in place really put a calm back into these uh, negotiations and, and sort of the market in general. And uh, we're really pleased to see that. It looks as though in this calendar year we'll start the renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement. We talked a lot about Mexico, not so much yet about Canada. Uh, what are the Grains Council's hopes and fears as we approach uh, bringing this accord back on the table? Yeah, our hopes are we, we get it going, and the hope is that we can be done relatively at a, at a good pace. Now, using the word uh, quick and trade policy in the same sentence is, is I've never, ever done that. So we know, realistically speaking, it probably will take time. But we hope that we can, you know, there is good work done in terms of the TPP that can be picked up on, that can maybe shortcut some of these negotiations. We are very hopeful, again, this do-no-harm philosophy that we hear consistently about from, from the administration stays intact, and we can go through the agricultural chapters, particularly the ones that relate to feed grains in terms of our interests, without a whole lot of ado. Uh, there are some updates we'd like to see on sanitary and phytosanitary uh, agreements and, and uh, things like that, but uh, our list is pretty short. But, uh, uh, again, we've, we've, we've said consistently Let's make sure we understand the importance of, of this market, of the international market, of international trade to agriculture, and the importance of Mexico to U.S. agriculture, particularly the sea grain sector. And uh, and we feel pretty pretty good right now, but uh, obviously we'll be watching closely as the negotiations uh, unfold. As we're talking about uh, NAFTA, 
What about our relationship with Canada? How important is that market, and are there as many sticking points now with regard to grains with Canada as there might be with Mexico? No, there's not as many sticking points with grain, Jeff. Uh, certainly, you know, Canada is an important market to us. Uh, certainly, for corn, we're, we're a consistent exporter of corn to Canada. But more importantly, uh, Canada is the second largest ethanol market we have for us, and so. We have stressed the importance of the of a, uh, the energy uh, chapter of NAFTA uh, that, that has a close look and we retain uh, good market access on energy and for biofuels. That's the one we're watching real closely uh, in addition to just general market access and other problems that are out there with Canada uh, don't spill over into, into the feed grain sector. A number of our elected officials and a number of our commodity groups have been urging the Trump administration to be involved in trade negotiations. We read in the headlines of a Japanese-European trade deal. There's talk of a China-Mexico trade deal. Um, certainly would be easy to feel left out. Are we being left out, and is there an urgency to get to the table and get some of these deals signed bilaterally? There's an urgency to engage and to show a strong sign that the U.S. is willing to engage in, in trade negotiations. I think countries sense that. Uh, here again, I just got back from Japan, and um, there you can really feel that Japan is moving on without the U.S. I was told, uh, you know, to expect to see the Japan-European Union free trade agreement to be uh, finalized by this weekend, uh, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think that there was that resolve to get that one done so quickly, but there certainly was. Uh, this TPP-11 uh, the discussions are moving along. Uh, there, and and you know, part of that might be strategy to move along and to, and to get the U.S. to feel a sense of uh, being left out. But whether that, whatever the strategy is behind it or not, it is definitely happening. And so um, we need to address this. You know, countries like Vietnam, which is very important to us in, in TPP, uh, Mexico, Canada, uh, Japan, um, you know, there, you go around the world, India, lots of countries out there that we want to see a strong engagement with on trade. Um, and I think, you know, we're seeing signs that that will happen. Tom, let's talk about positives. Ethanol exports to the globe have certainly been a bright spot for the Grains Council. And, and you mentioned some success, and it looks like there are some additional opportunities coming for U.S. ethanol. You know, like everything else, there's great opportunities and there's great challenges. Mexico, things are going along nicely. Uh, I think that Mexican study commissions have looked at ethanol and they, they, they seem ready to have, well, actually they increased uh, up at the E10 uh, nationwide with the exception of the top three cities in, in Mexico, which we're, we're working on that part of the uh, equation too. So there's been positive movements there. There's positive movements in Japan about having a much Refreshed, renewed analysis of U.S. corn-based ethanol. Uh, I, you know, the, we're, we're hearing lots of good things, you know, about, you know, yeah, we're moving towards making, you know, ethanol and as part of our biofuel, uh, uh co you know, complex that we want to be able to utilize. Um, we, we have great success right now. Brazil's been a, a great market for U.S. ethanol. Uh, Canada's been a good market for U.S. ethanol. But there's, you know, challenges on the horizon. Brazil has been flirting with uh, increasing uh, tariff on U.S. ethanol. Uh, Peru uh, has launched a countervailing duty investigation against uh, U.S. ethanol. So, again, when, you, when you're in a strong market position and you're very competitive, you sort of have these pluses and minuses happen. But the council is engaged on all of them right now, and uh, I think working through 
those 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 policy challenges on, on the tariff considerations and, and countervailing duty things, but also working very closely to get a very positive view of U.S. corn-based ethanol around the world. And as I've said many, many times, you know, it's going better and faster than I thought it would, and uh, we've got some great partners. And, and um, our Renewable Fuels Association and Growth Energy and, and Foreign Agricultural Service are working together on this. Uh, we're, we're pretty pleased with how things are going, but we've got a lot more work to do. I personally have had the opportunity to witness the U.S. Grains Council in action in Southeast Asia of not just there to sell product, but giving example of how end users, if they stepped up to using U.S. supplies, could advance their objective of livestock production. And you have another example of that now with a feeding trial and fish in Vietnam. Yeah, I think it's the core of what we do, and we do it around the world, where you're looking at utilizing updated you know, highly efficient diets to get both the type of results you want in terms of the of the final end product in terms of the meat production in case of aquaculture, you know, the effect of U.S. high-energy-based diets on meat quality. And you can show what we call mutual rationality. You know, rational use of these high-energy inputs will get you the type of results that you want. So it's a win-win situation. Your energy flir- your, your industry flourishes and it creates an opportunity for U.S. agriculture to help grow together. That's what it's been all about. Uh, I was reminded of that again uh, last week in Japan, where you know, literally U.S. Grains Council activity helped modernize a whole industry over the course of the years. And to right now, you have an incredibly large industry that the U.S. enjoys basically 100% market share with. So it's working together with these industries, growing together. This is the example we've used since the, our establishment back in 1960, uh, and we continue to do that all around the world, including places like Africa and, and India right now, where you kind of look at that same formula, look at the various industries that you can engage with and grow together. Tom, how important are the FMD and MAP funds from the Department of Agriculture to helping the Grains Council accomplish its tasks? Well, it's incredibly important. It's been one of the best public-private partnerships, uh, I think, in the history of uh, the United States, uh, you know, trade development. Uh, it is something that, the, again, we are, we are partners. We are partners with the U.S. government and U.S. industry working together to reach these goals and to reach these goals that have had, you know, long-term and short-term impact on on exports. And this is, you know, we're working hard. The programs always uh, face some criticism here and there, but when you start taking a look at how these programs have developed, what they've done for U.S. agriculture, uh, the results are unmistakable. You know, 28 to 1 return on investment, this sort of thing. Uh, We're working hard. I think once people start looking at how these programs work, how there is matching funding, you know, it's a partnership in terms of funding, it's a partnership in terms of engagement, uh, they're critical to our success, and they sort of they come up again for authorization in the farm bill. And we want to make sure one takes a long, hard look and understands the importance of these programs. Tom, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to talk about the summer meeting coming up in Vancouver. We have two meetings here. This is our, our annual membership meeting, where we uh, decide the direction of the council, both in terms of strategies and in terms of uh, budgets for the next year. Uh, we're going to, as we always do, uh, focusing on the value of trade. We're going to be in Vancouver, right there next to Portland, right next to a lot of uh, large-scale export elevators, taking a look at that system, but also taking a look at, from a macro perspective, 
our our trade relationship, both at uh, you know a strategic level as a country, what's happening, for instance, uh, with China, uh, you know, as they're addressing their international uh, trade strategy through this one belt, one road strategy that a lot of people have been hearing about. We're going to actually have a speaker on that, and then getting down into you know how do we engage in trade expansion trade development in today's world and getting down to the sort of the nuts and bolts of what the council does. So it's really great. We're looking forward to it it's at the end of the month, uh, Vancouver, Washington, uh, not Vancouver, Canada, but you know, we're looking forward to a great time working with our members as we, again, work together to build these markets. Well, Tom Slate, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Well, thank you, Jeff. And again, I think that what I always look at right now is engagement. I think that farmers need to become, if they're not already, uh, experts on foreign policy. They need to track developments around the world as it affects their business because it will and it does. And I think that the U.S. is, is well engaged around the world, that we can improve on that engagement, we can refine that engagement, but we need to send a strong uh, message to our customers and to our competitors that the U.S. is in this market and in it to stay, and uh, we, we sh- share some great optimism for market growth in all of the sectors that we work in. Our thanks to Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.